Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello, welcome back. This is Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com. Part of the 24-7 network. I am Mike Casaza, and across the state border from me is Chris Anderson. Chris, surviving, thriving? Uh, thriving is not the word I would look for, although uh, I posted, as I posted on the board the other day, I'm getting in a little better shape because I have taught my son how to ride a bicycle, and now he wants to go on a bike ride every hour on the hour, which requires me running with him, and I do not like running at all so um silver linings and all that maybe i'll come out of this uh in shape but uh i gotta get rid of all these mega stuffed oreos first those girl scout cookies are not going to eat themselves <laughs> you know you guys know that i have uh banned myself uh banned all girl scouts from my house so that's not happening i think the worst part about being at home right now and like i work from home and you work from home so we're familiar with this but like the urge to eat at all times and you pass a refrigerator or a closet is ordinarily uh strong but like when the impending doom is around you and you're not allowed out of the house and like you've got all this food in your house because you freaked out and bought way too much stuff one day because you thought they were going to close every grocery store it's an even stronger thing but also um i'm finding myself that i'm kind of balancing it like maybe i shouldn't have that chip because i might need that three weeks from now when (laughs) this is still happening um it's quite a it's quite a swing of emotions and diet restrictions Yes, it is. I was hoping that maybe um, as far as the diet goes, I would be better off after this than before because uh, my, my you talk about having the desire to eat when you're working at home, but my Achilles heel has been when I'm running around doing things, just being like, oh, well, I'm going to grab grab something out, grab a quick bite on my way home or uh, and eat takeout and all this other stuff. And yeah, I'm doing that. I have obviously uh, several and you've been a champion of this on Twitter as well, but several local businesses that I want to, I enjoy patronizing and, and want to help out during this time and, and get some food, but not quite as much as I used to, or at least not as bad as I used to. I cook way too much. That's the one thing now I have all this time. And like, I have all the ingredients to make stuff. I cook too much right now. And like, these are not like skinny taste, weight watchers meals. These are like rich, hearty Southern cooking home comfort foods. Cause that feels pretty good right now. Other stuff, uh, you know, being told you can't do this or can't have that, like if I can actually make what I want and it's not good for you, I really feel like that's the best thing for you right now. Well, I'm glad we started a, our new uh, health food podcast. It's uh, lunchtime. It's quiet time. Yeah. <laughs> it's lunchtime. It's a slow. There's no sports. We're going to talk food. Uh, that's our new uh, venture. This is, this is what I hear uh, guys are doing now. 
Well, that's all for this episode of Culinary Confidential. Let's get back into Country Roads Confidential here. We're going to talk about basketball because it, it should be going on right now. I feel robbed and deprived of the best time of the year. And I don't know, maybe West Virginia would still be playing under ordinary circumstances. I think that the Mountaineers like to think that, but we can't do anything about that. And what we can do, though, is kind of take a scan of some current events here. There's been a couple of things that have happened and may soon happen. And also look ahead because I think the feeling a lot of people get right now and what helps them get through this low time where you don't have the postseason and you never got to see quite how high and how far this team went um, is that it has a chance to be very good right away next year. And that's kind of fun to talk about right now, too. Um, hope is good. Excitement is good right now. So that's what we want to do. Let's not talk about what didn't happen and what might have been. Let's talk about what is coming soon. And there's a long time to clear things up before this happens. And there's every reason to believe that, um, you know, basketball can happen on time and on schedule. So I think it'd be fun to just circle that and talk about it. Not only just kind of close the book on last season and, and get that out of our system, but to kind of refresh our focus and put it where it could be and should be not long from now, which is a potentially very exciting, very exciting and successful 2020-21 season. And I guess the big thing that we can start with is this quizzical proclamation that I think a lot of people expected and maybe are hurrying to embrace right now, but that West Virginia should have, is expected to have, I'm not going to say will have, but should have, is expected to have both Oscar Shibway and Derek Culver back. That comes from a report from peerless John Rothstein. Um, very early in the offseason, though, but any news is good news right now, and that's about as good as news goes. Chris, how much stock would you invest in that statement, that those two are coming back and will be on the team next year? Have we seen this before? We've heard this before uh, of guys coming back, especially because in Rothstein's tweet credited Huggins, said it came straight from the head man himself. And I don't think Huggins is going to put out false info, you know, knowingly. I don't think he's going to try to put that out there if that's not true. Um, maybe he's expecting it. Maybe he, he that's what he's hoping for. Um Obviously, if if that's true, I think that's great for West Virginia. I think any, the more good players you have, the better. Uh, usually, uh, I don't <laughs> see too many issues with. I, I I'm hesitating here because I don't think it's fair to say what I'm. I'm not really thinking, but I, I'm I'm concerned about, or I think just needs to be put out there. So I'll just ask you your thoughts. Is, is this a potential kind of Kanate situation not saying I'm not saying that Culver has the same or there's injuries involved and there's and all the things that we discussed last time on this last podcast about injuries and mismanagement and everything like that people in his ear but where Culver's kind of coming back and maybe he's trying to change his game a little bit to increase his NBA odds or or heck even Oscar could do the same thing I I'm not trying to pin it all on Culver but is it a situation where you have too much of a good thing or am I just being a downer no, I think that those are valid worries because we talked about this the last time we spoke. That's something they had to handle better as an entire operation. And is that fixed? I don't know. Bob Huggins had a lot to fix in the past year, and he hasn't had a chance to see it. That is actually fixed. I don't worry about Shibway at all. I think that his his constitution and the people he has around him are going to, by and large, guide him the right way. 
Um, I mean, he went months between jump shots this year and only took him because they were begging him to take jumpers. So that's okay with me. And Culver, like, I just believe in that dude. I, I know that he's an emotional guy and he is not extremely polished and refined, but like, I, I think that guy has done everything that you could reasonably ask him to do um, since the first 10 games of his freshman season where he was gone and had he done anything to slip up he would have he would have been out now granted he has slipped up I mean he's come off the bench for coaching decisions a couple of times and we say coaching decisions it's not because I thought it'd be a good idea it was because he left me no other choice most notably in the CBI game last year but earlier in this season too where he did something that warranted him not starting the game so has he been perfect? No, but I don't think the expectation was for him to be perfect, and I think that you have to work with a guy like that, and I think that he knows that he can get a lot out of this. He's also, again, he says everything that you're supposed to say. He knows what his like shortcomings and his weaknesses are and things he has to work on. He just has to do it, and that's the thing for him right now. It sounds good. It doesn't look good right now, and I think that that's a challenge for him, and I don't think you're going to turn him into a guy who's going to be taking 18-footers or make him a stretch four. He's not that type of guy. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. So, uh, you know, as far as, like, character and and the basketball culture, I don't worry about Shebae with that as far as, like, the basketball playing. I just don't see them – Culver isn't a stretch four, right? He doesn't have that game or that body. Am I wrong there? No, I don't think so. I, don't, I, I have not seen any sign of him being somebody that's going to step out and, you know, drill threes or anything like that. Now, he could be a better defender, and if he got some Kanate there, that'd be good too. I will say this about the reporting, and I'm not—I'm I'm never ever going to do media against media, but I talked to Huggins um, last Friday, and it, it felt weird to talk about things like, "Hey, your two best returning players, what's up?" But we did get into that part of the conversation because he said that he thought a majority of the team would be, would be back, and majority is an unusual word because Brandon Aber had already left. And later on, we revisited it, and I said, "Hey, majority." What do you think? What do you know? And he said right away, like, I don't think or know anything right now. This is so early. I haven't talked to my guys. It's a conversation you have to have face-to-face. And it hadn't happened yet. Now, this comes out on a Tuesday, and there's plenty of time in between there. I don't think they had a face-to-face. Now, granted, everybody's doing Zoom right now, so maybe they had a virtual face-to-face. But I just talked to people on Tuesday about this, and they said, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, like, we think everybody's coming back. The idea is they'll have everybody back, but, like, I don't know. But forget me and my sources and the capital S someone's I talk to. Go to the Dominion Post and check out what Justin Jackson wrote today. Um, he flat asks Bob Huggins and Ron Everhart, who obviously is very close to Oscar Shibway. Um, Huggins says too soon to say that those two are definitely coming back. Then there have been no detailed conversations. And Ron Everhart says no one knows for sure. They don't know. So cart, horse, do we have it in the right order here? I don't know. I think the word expectation is being used liberally by a lot of people here. Bob Huggins expects them back. Um, Maybe, maybe not. I expect the football season to be played. Maybe, maybe not. It's a strong word right now, and that may be where people are getting their hopes up or too confused. And we also have to remember that even if one or both, or you know, I'm not trying to freak anybody out here, of those guys is considering leaving early, Huggins is not going to be the first person to say that. Huggins is not going to tell like a third party um, uh, reporter of, of the kid's decision. He is going to allow Culver or Oscar or both or whomever to announce that decision themselves or transfer themselves, whatever. So 
he's never, you were never going to get the answer that, yeah, one of them's leaving. It was either going to be, I can't answer that or I hope so. And, and that's what we got. So I don't think that was, and like I said, I'm not trying to do media against media or argue with people, but you know, we saw lots of people aggregating that tweet and right now, oh, breaking news. This is a huge story. And my kind of response was, I just, I think one of our posters just put it on our message board and I didn't even bother to tweet it or anything. It's just, just, yeah. What were you expecting him to say? This, this just doesn't seem like that big of a news because this is not the way the news is going to come out. The news of whether or not Culver or Oscar or both or neither are leaving is not going to come from a conversation between a reporter and Bob Huggins. It's going to come from one of those players. You got to get with the people who know the people who put together the Instagram post and the graphic for Twitter. Those are the people who we're going to (laughs) know. Those are the people. Hey, let's assume for a second that the expectation is reality and both those come back. You're looking at a team that uh, lost three seniors, signed three players, but also has Brandon Napper in the transfer portal. So do the math in your head. They have one scholarship left. This is a fun little hypothetical to have because I have, um, I guess, obtuse opinions about this, but um, they can go in a lot of directions with this. I've written about it. I haven't gotten much of a feeling from anybody about what they're going to do because it's just very hard to recruit right now. By the way, it's hard to think about playing pros overseas or playing in the NBA right now when it's so hard to travel overseas or be evaluated. So that might be a, a plus for Culver and Shiba is like they know they're going to have a college season here. Um, and be taken care of. But anyways, um, it's hard to go out and recruit right now. I don't think that the Napper News caught West Virginia by surprise. They probably have some work done. But number 13 is open and available. They've been creative with it in the past. They redshirted Jalen Bridges last year and got him in early. You've been over that before. It was kind of a surprise that he was on campus at all, and he redshirted. Uh, They've left it open before. They haven't used transfers, but that might be inevitable right now. They might get somebody who's really good and can help right away. Myriad possibilities here. Um, What do you think or suggest or prescribe for this situation? I think, for me, the only answer, not the only answer, but I would target, first and foremost, a true point guard. As as true as you can try to find one of a pass-first creator, somebody that can get to the rim, kind of point guard and if not I'd probably go another shooter I guess it depends on who's available if you're looking at you know a grad transfer guy uh, West Virginia's already been linked to the uh, point guard from Wichita State as a potential option I'm not sure how that fits maybe maybe he does fit that role that I'm talking about there but when I'm looking at what's coming back again assuming that Culver is coming back and that there are no other departures my biggest concern on this team is still around the perimeter it's who's going to distribute the ball and who's going to shoot the ball because the bigs are there they are what they are I don't think you're going to get any better than Culver and Shibwe and then you're going to add Isaiah Cottrell who's 6'10 but more of a he's different than both Oscar and Culver in that I think he can kind of stretch out I really like the idea of him playing alongside one of those guys on the court at the same time and you got uh you got wings you got Emmett Matthews you got Gabe uh, you got Jalen Bridges, if he can come back. Taj Thweet is kind of a 3-4-ish uh, in that Gabe Osaboyan role. Not in, in body type, not game type. Um, and, and then, again, so what are you looking at? You're looking at point guard and shooting guard. And I think, you know, you got some bodies there, but has any have any of those guys been the definitive answer consistently for West Virginia since they've been on campus? 
Good points. Good question. Let me let me bounce some ideas off of you, and you tell me what you think. All right. Okay. Uh, they're gonna need size before too long because it's naive to think that Shibuya and Clover will both be here not for the upcoming season but for the season after that just seems probably a bit too presumptuous and Cottrell is not your Cottrell is he French Cottrell is <laughs> not your traditional five right um maybe he grows into it but you're going to need a second guy down there too um I don't know that there's a great high school or prep school four slash five who's available right now that they can get their hands on there are developmental players guys who are like 6'10 and 205 pounds and are raw and need time um you can look and find them but like what would you think about finding a guy who's big and doesn't have to play or contribute this year and could follow a bridges route um and redshirt and develop and be ready maybe not next year but the year after i love the idea if you feel comfortable with the point guard and shooting guard situation and me personally i don't feel that confident in it because i think for me i i guess as far as you know long-term view and trying to make sure you're keeping on steady ground with stable ground with this program and building it and keeping a strong foundation a big man a developmental big man just like you said i think is a great idea but i'm kind of going all in on next year you got almost everybody coming back that is a major contributor assuming again no more transfers but so if you can try to find that one piece that you're really missing just for next year, I think you have to do it. I think you have to kind of try to go all in, so to speak, on the 2020-21 season. So you're like a late first-round pick in the NFL. You just get the best available player. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you would rank it point guard, shooting guard, big wing? That's four different spots, by the way. Point guard, shooting guard big wing or would you go wing big not nah, big wing okay i think it's good um i would not take a high school point guard i would take um, a mooney from texas tech a couple years ago who was a adult playing in the backcourt um i would be i would have reservations about a shooter because i think you want to invest so much into playing time for mcneil and sherman and mcbride um, however, if that's the best available and the guy just doesn't move the net, kind of hard to say no to that, right? Especially when they weren't very good shooters last year. And you lost Napper. I see what you all about Napper, but he was he was supposed to be productivity, and you have to at least replace that part of the plan, right? Yeah, definitely. And to be clear, my, my point guard is I'm with you. It's got to be somebody mm-hmm. that is top-tier ready, not somebody that you roll the dice on. I'm talking a guy that is definitively ready to lead a team as a point guard. So we would say this then, uh, season mature point guard would be your number one priority. Um, right. And then I think if you can find a shooter who's just a no doubt about a guy, and that could be a two or a three, go for it. It sounds like we're both in agreement that in the pecking order, maybe that developmental thing is a good idea for a third option. And then a fourth option would be just general high school player? Yeah, I'm not even sure where you would go with that because it doesn't, make much sense in basketball to pocket scholarships until the next class, unless you absolutely need to. Um, there's not a shortage of them. Uh, guys are still transferring. So might as well take a flyer on a guy and see if, if, if he'll, you know, pan out. But yeah, I guess see game ready point guard, game ready shooting guard, developmental big man. And then, yeah, I guess the best available high school player that, that you're going to tell straight out that, hey, 
you're probably going to redshirt just like they did with Jalen Bridges. Mm-hmm. The um, the part that's interesting to me here is Huggins has not liked using transfers before, just because if a guy sits out, it's not fair to the other twelve guys who are on scholarship. And when I say like not use it, I mean on the court. So they they technically didn't use Jalen Bridges' scholarship this year because he redshirted. Uh, they get a kid to come from a Division One school and he's got to sit out. They're not using that scholarship there too. Leaving it blank, I think, is a non-starter. They have to use it. Although they only have two guys who are juniors this class, so they're going to be replacing two guys next year. So maybe you want to use it for next year. I don't know. That's You do the same thing if you take a senior with the 13 scholarship. It comes off the books and it's open. So, again, I don't think it's a good idea to not use it at all. But um, my point being that he has not liked using transfers before. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine not considering it now. And the grad transfer thing is something that he's been really – leery about um been burned with the matt humphrey experiment i think it's a totally different world right now and there's so many good players who are going to come available too that uh i kind of feel like it's going to be a transfer one way or the other here and that's very curious to me will he actually open his arms to that because he hasn't wanted to do that before but it just seems like such a good idea and by the way a really attractive situation is west virginia for a guy who's looking to move and win in his final year Absolutely. I think if, yeah, if you're a point guard, say somebody playing at a slightly lower level, but dominating, um, West Virginia has got to be near the top of your list of places to go play. Cause I think the kind of point guard rotation is, is pretty wide open. I think we all agree on that. And if you can come in and contribute, all the other pieces are there. Ooh, boy, it's interesting. Again, I don't think they want to disrupt the core. So almost feels like it's going to be a secondary player, like an Osaboyan, um, to come in and fit like a specific set, and, and it may work that way. But, again, fascinating thing to consider because, again, we've spent 10 minutes on how many options there are. We probably haven't covered it adequately. Something else we spent some time on, and let's not dip too much into it, but the schedule looks like it's going to be ferocious. Um, we only have the non-conference schedule, but there are some heavyweight opportunities in there. West Virginia has the worst luck when it comes to these preseason invitational tournaments where it never works out like it's supposed to. But with this Bahamas tournament, it seems like it's impossible to avoid a blue chip program and a huge boost to your strength of schedule in there. So that's going to be good for them. And then just really big opponents home and away for them. Invitational games, again, not just the Bahamas event, but the Big 12, Big East battle, the Big 12 SEC challenge. Those are going to be made for TV, booster strength of schedule things too. Um, it seems like they took a really big swing. Like they lined up and, th- and said, you know what? We're going to be really good this year. Bring us your best and your strongest. And it's a pretty impressive collection of just non-conference opponents right now. And we haven't even seen two of them because we have no idea who they're playing from the Big East or the SEC, except we can assume they're probably going to be good. I have a question for you. Yeah. Why? I think, and, and here's why I'm asking why. I think they, for lack of a better term, gamed the system perfectly this year. They played a lot of teams that, if you look at their non-conference schedule, and they only had the one loss to St. John's in New York City. But how many of those games would you consider, you know, elite opponents? Uh, Ohio State in Cleveland? No, yeah, um, that's it. Anybody, anybody else? Like, that's it. And, but they game the system perfectly because the computers loved that non-conference schedule. Oh, they loved it. West Virginia rode on that non-conference schedule, even through that horrendous stretch of losses there towards the end of the season. 
and the net rankings and everything still had them so high because of that non-conference schedule where they seem to have picked the perfect teams that were just good enough to give them a lot of computer cred, but not too tough to give them a bunch of losses. And that's a great system. That's how you, you know, that's how you game those computer rankings as you play those types of teams. And now they seem to have like taken the football approach of, hey, we'll take some losses in non-conference play as long as we play the toughest of the tough. I, I It seems like an unnecessary jump to me if you're trying to build your resume um, the the computer way. But do you think, you know, maybe the committee or, or somebody has indicated that the football kind of approach is the way it's going to go from here on out? I like this. Too smart for their own good or too tough for their own good? Um it's a really good point. It's a really good question. Um, they, you're right. They did everything that they were supposed to do, um, in that period of time, um, and didn't. I don't think didn't hurt themselves and probably helped themselves quite a bit. So, why would you mess with that? And they've been really like scientific about that in the past. And if you look at this, it's it's one team after another. I didn't even mention they're playing Purdue, which is probably going to be a loaded team. Um, they're playing them in a, in a tournament, excuse me, a one-game event in Brooklyn um, in December, and that's always going to be a dicey spot because it's such an irregular time of the basketball schedule. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Why would you do it? I mean, if it, is, if it ain't broke, right, and it wasn't broke, but, again, I think the fact that he thought he's – I think they all saw the chance for this to be a really good team next season, um, and I think we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, why wouldn't you do it? It seems like it makes some sense. Get your team prepared and battle tested, and kind of hard to look at this and say they're not going to be ready for Big Twelve play. And by the way, we haven't even mentioned the Big Twelve is going to be stacked again. You're looking at West Virginia, and let's get into this now. Um, West Virginia definitely ranked in the preseason. Let's say top twenty, right? And I think they're going to be looking up at three Big Twelve teams. Yikes! That's all. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Right. That that's going to be tough. I mean, that's. I guess it all depends on if there's going to be any more transfers, but there aren't too many other guys in the Big Twelve that are going to announce that they're leaving for the NBA that haven't already. So I, I guess, yeah, it's it's, man, a, another year. Where... You're going to have Texas Tech, Baylor, and Kansas in some order above West Virginia, and I've seen each of those three teams picked as the best in the big 12 next year. So those are going to be good opponents there too. So again, definitely a ranked team, but maybe, maybe fourth in the preseason big 12, maybe third, maybe second. I get that just depends on the votes work, but like that's, we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, a ferocious non-conference schedule that I think is going to be strong enough that when you look at that, plus the big 12 schedule, it might be the best schedule ever. A lot has to happen. I get that. And again, part of the success of that is going to be West Virginia's end of the deal too. If they get dominated by some of these teams and they're, you know, a bubble team, eh, how good was that schedule for them? That's one metric to look at. But if they get dominated, they're a bubble team and they win some games in the NCAA tournament, then it obviously paid off too. So um, a long time between then and now too. Um, we'll have to wait and see on that. We're gonna have to wait and see on some players too here, and we can begin to wind this down but we talked about Jalen Bridges already who we've only seen glimpses of but we have kind of seen and then West Virginia welcomes in as you mentioned uh, Isaiah Cottrell Taj Thweet and then we have not mentioned Kedrian Johnson who by the way looks like he can maybe help a point um, 
they needed to fill in some spots because of players that they were losing guards kind of like a swing player like Haley and then if you can give compliments to um Shibway and Culver in the post kind of replaced the Logan route spot with a better athlete and a better basketball player and they did that with Cottrell um just on paper they they kind of did their job here but what type of contributions are we expecting and what's realistic here for those four players I think you'll see contributions from all three right away. Uh, I think they're all going to be set to come in and play. Cottrell, when we were having that discussion last week about, you know, no Culver or no Oscar, um, I really like the idea of Cottrell alongside of, say, Oscar, because they are completely opposite. Other than both being 6'9", 6'10", they could not be more different of a player, and I think that's what you need when you're trying to go to bigs like that because we saw the issues with Culver and Oscar on the court at the same time this year where it was kind of jammed up offensively. But with Cottrell, he, you know, I'm not expecting him to step out the three-point line and shoot 40% or even 35%, but he can at least kind of get out to the elbow, make you come out at least a little bit towards the three-point line if you need him to, if you need the defense to spread out a little bit. So I like the idea of him being with one of the other bigs uh, down on the post. I think that's a better two-big lineup than what is currently there. Although I, I don't think Cottrell is individually better than Culver or Oscar, but just them working together is better. And Taj Thweet, man, that, he is he is interesting because he, he plays like a dominating power forward but is about is like exactly six six, and he is when he when when he first committed and I spoke with him he talked to me about how we had him ranked at twenty four seven sports as the number ten or eleven player in New Jersey. He was adamant that we were out of our minds that he was the best player in the state, and yeah, you hear that stuff all the time when it comes to rankings. Kids always think they're the best player at their position, at their state, in their city, whatever it is. And he kind of went out and proved it this year and, and had a dominating senior season. They won the South Jersey title. He won the South Jersey Player of the Year honors. Um, I'm curious to see how, how he plays because he's one of those guys that has a high motor, plays bigger than he really is, but I'm not sure offensively what he's going to – he doesn't really have an outside shot. It's more of a I got to get to the rim, I got to dunk it, I got to get putbacks. And, and I'm not sure how that's going to fit in. I don't. I'm not saying it's a Gabe Osaboyan situation, but he's going to have to develop something more offensively. And then uh, Keedy Johnson, uh, I more of a point guard, but I do think of it when I look at him and I look at his game and what I've seen of it. I think of Taz Sherman. I don't think he's quite as efficient shooting outside, but he is a shoot first, um, get to the basket kind of point guard. A little taller than Taz is. Uh, so he maybe he's that guy, but I'm not sure he's as efficient as probably Bob Huggins is going to hope for at point guard. Oh, boy. There's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I just kind of rambled for a while. Where do you want to go first? Well, Contra we know about. We probably spent the most time writing and reading about him, and nothing against him, but like I think that we kind of have an idea what, what's good for him. But I, I think you make a really good point, too, to get him on the floor and stay big, but also add some spacing could be really good. I want to point out here that I was looking at something and I actually wrote a story last season about playing Kanate, Culver, and Shiwe together, and Huggins was kind of open to the idea, and I'm just imagining what that would have been like. <laughs> and then I'm thinking about 
what it's like to actually get a guy who's 6'10". and can maybe pull a guy away. Is he going to be a 40% three-point shooter? No, but if he can make some buckets, I think he probably has some dribble drive to him too. Um, not easy for a 6'10 guy to do. I get that, but like it, it's an interesting thing. Johnson, you're going to have to explain to me the difference between him and Tavon Myers or him and Jay Sean Page. Because uh, I guess Page is more of a traditional too, but we've seen guys come in, even high school guys who are like combo guards, and it takes time. I think if he can come in and give you offense off the bench, it looks like he's a guy who can get hot, get a shot up over people. But, yeah, is he different than Sherman? Is he different than Myers? I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm a big fan of Thweet. Like, I think he's exactly what they need. Um, I the Jersey thing. I love the fact that he called you an idiot. <laughs> Obviously I love, um, <laughs> but like just that attitude, I mean, that that's the thing that like Huggins really likes. And I, I, I wouldn't want that from a guy who's six ten. I wouldn't want that from a guy who's six foot and who clearly fits in a position. I want that from a guy who doesn't have, um, he's neither a square peg or a round peg. Um, but he's going to fit himself in there somewhere or another. And what you described about, I'm going to find a way to score. No, I'm going to dunk it. I'm going to rebound. I'm going to steal it, whatever. Um, That's what he does, and I think that's what they really need and want from that position because if you look at their guys who played those those minutes in the wing, they didn't have anybody like that. And I think that's a great infusion there too. Um, We didn't mention Bridges. I think the hype's a little bit extreme right now because he made some shots at an open practice in the Big 12 tournament. Um, But, like, there's gifts there. He's a really productive player and a really efficient player. How many minutes he gets, I don't know, but I think that the talent is there too. Um, he's physically matured. Like just, I, I was looking at a picture of him in when was the the scrimmage? October, I guess, November. Mm-hmm. Um, and then him at the Big Twelve tournament. It's totally different. I mean, he's got like tone and physique now, and I would imagine he's just gotten better and better playing. Um, and just watching film and lifting weights and doing basketball stuff too. But I think that's a guy who's going to get you some minutes and some points every night out. And here we go again. We're talking about how do you get 13 guys in there? They're going to have to find a way to do it and to keep everybody happy again. But I really think you could look at it and say there's a spot, a need, a place. There's a night, an opponent for every one of these guys. Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of – because you got a lot of those guys kind of in the, in the middle there, Bridges, Gabe – Taj Thweet, that maybe some days they're playing a four, maybe you're going super big and they're playing quote unquote a two. Um, I mean, not gay, but just thinking an idea of having like Bridges as a two or something like that out there and just really going big. I don't know. Of course, then you're going to bring up the issue of uh, which one of these guys is going to be your shooter because you, if you start going trotting out a team where three of the guys can't shoot further than 10 feet from the basket you're gonna run into the same problems you had this year so again like you just said what's the role what's the consistent role for all of these guys how are you going to get all of them out there who's going to be kind of towards the end of the bench or maybe more inconsistent minutes but uh, there will be some of those guys but I think at, at any given point you could see one of these guys or all of these guys play a lot and contribute that's my immediate concern with next season is how they manage the rotation in the minutes. I mean, it was something we talked about and critiqued a lot this season. There's no way to say it wasn't a problem. Even Huggins admitted that he was doing things counter to what he wanted to do and what he had done before. And here we go with, I think, what we can agree is a high-quality roster and guys who are going to have to play because they're very good, 
guys who are going to have to play because they can help and guys who you want to play because they're new and they can probably add something there too. It's going to be fun to watch how they figure this one out. Um, I'm still a fan of starting five guards and just letting them wing it for a minute and figure out who's hot and who's not. Look, the Houston Rockets are doing this. You can't tell me this isn't a good idea. Um, just let your guys go out and run for a bit and find your two guys who are hot that day and play them. Um, so I'm not going to give up on that one. I'm ready to die on a new hill. Are you ready for this one? Go. We talked a lot about three guard offense this past season. You know, getting three guards in and you know adding some ball handling, passing, flow, spacing. Get it? I like it. Good. I want the one guard offense. See, you're down with it. I, the one I just said, having what Jalen Bridges as the as your two guard, quote unquote, at your two, uh, or Taj Sweet. What Miles McBride, Jalen Bridges, Taj Sweet, Isaiah Cottrell, and Oscar, or Colvin? I want Oscar. it. Give it to me. Well, give me, give me, give me Sherman with Bridges, Thweet, Matthews, and Culver. Give me McBride, Matthews, Cottrell. Shibway Culver. I, I I just I want it. I don't care. Give me give me shooters around him that are threes and fours. Give me bigs who can rebound what the guys miss. Uh, let let them just run picks and screens for. I, I want it. I don't care. Let's be obtuse. You have all these ways to be flexible and have fun with it. We'll never see it. We're never going to see the five guards at once, which is a crime. But like I, I some of your best talent may be wings and bigs. And again, like it sounds silly, but like you you find a way to play your best five. I'm not saying they're going to be your best five, but. It's kind of a fun thing to think about. Like you're going to have good players who can do different things, and if these guys are six seven, six eight, and can shoot better than guards, which by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. If some of these guys were shooting better than their twos, I mean, it's kind of a funny thing to think about right now. We're laughing, but like when they're cutting down the nets in Kansas City next year, the laugh will be with us and not with them. Uh, see, this is where we miss Jermaine Haley to be the point guard, and then you can have an entire five where no one's shorter than six seven. And, and Mike would just lose his mind. Let's wrap it up here, Chris. Um, starting five and, more important to you, closing five. Um, I think a popular question last year was if or when Miles McBride would start. And I think a lot of people would say, well, that's going to be the case again now. Um, man, I don't see a way that he doesn't start. Would you agree with that? Or do you think that maybe he is still a bench guy? Do you – if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Like, you know, let McCabe play a few minutes, see what see what he's got, and then go to McBride for an extended period of time if he does it. And if he does, maybe bring McCabe back in and, and slide McBride to a shooting guard because – and this is part of the reason why I'm not entirely sold on the point guard situation. Sometimes when McBride is the point guard, that offense takes so long to get started. It, it, mm-hmm. it, he just stands out there and dribbles, and it takes a while. And when you waste 15 of the 30 seconds standing out there dribbling or dribbling the ball up, and you already have a stagnant offense, it makes it that much more glaring when you only have, say, 15 seconds or 12 seconds to get a play going and get a shot up, an open shot up. So I'm not entirely ruling out McCabe still starting and McBride coming off the bench. And granted, again, I think it'll be a lot like this year where McBride played what twice as many minutes as McCabe, but maybe just doesn't start as part of my closing five again. 
I think we can both be right here. I think you could not remove McCabe and get McBride in. I think you could take McBride out of the garage, excuse me, McCabe out of the garage and see what he has that night. And if it's not good, put him in the garage. But like, I think that you could start one and two right there. McCabe, McBride. And if McCabe has it, ride it. And if it doesn't, you slide McBride over. Um, so again, I think you could find a way to start the both of them. And maybe your first sub is, let's say, McCabe out. McBride becomes the one, and McNeil or Sherman comes in. Um, and then McBride's playing one minute, he comes out, and then maybe Johnson gets a spell, and then it's McBride again. I think there's a way you could accommodate your idea, which I think is good, because um, he, he is a better operator of the offense. Um, that's where McBride has to improve for sure. But if he can get in and play some two, and then he slides over to one, you can kind of take care of that. So I think that that's an idea. You only need one starter, though, because I think it's going to be pretty clearly Matthews, Culver, and Shibway in the front court. Um, but I don't think Matthews is in any danger of losing a spot. So really, it's just replacing Haley, and it's got to be a guard, you would think, despite my pining for big lineups and everything. Um, so we probably agree there. How do you finish a game right now, though, too? Let's say it's just competitive. They're not boat racing anybody. They're not getting blown out, but they got to have quality possessions on both ends. Where do you lean here? Because this is your this is your block. It's a little more complicated this year because I, I was very up on Emmett Matthews. We were fresh off Spanish Emmett Matthews. I was ready to deem him the key player for the entire season. Um, although... Thinking back, I think uh, we had our little debate uh, before the season if we had to pick five of one player to field a team. Um, you went Matthews, and I went Haley. I did not. No, I did not do that. You went Haley? Oh, I think someone's in denial. Um, that never happened. Uh, but I, I think that's my sleeping point because I definitively have McBride as my point guard. I have Gabe Osaboyan at power forward, Oscar Shibway at center, Um and then I, I, I think I'm going McNeil at the two because if you're behind, I believe he's your best pure shooter. And if you're winning, you need somebody who can make some free throws and is a bigger body that can get his hand up on defense for guys that are going to be shooting out on the perimeter on the other team. So I got McBride, uh, McNeil, uh, Gabe, and Oscar. And then, you know, that three... If we got if we got Spanish Emmett Matthews, that's that's a no brainer for me. He is definitively number three. But if he's not, oh man, it, you know that really opens up for what might happen this summer. Is Jalen Bridges ready? Is he ready to be the guy? Can he play the defense that's needed to help when you're ahead? Can he make the shots when that are needed when you you need to catch up? Yeah, I think a, a good point here. Again, you didn't mention Culver and. There's no doubt that he's going to be a liability in the end of a game if he can't make free throws. Shibway is better at that than he was, but you wonder. But, man, Osaboyan was a bad free throw shooter too, so you're going to have a liability there somewhere. Um, what's curious to me about this lineup is that there were ways to play a guard on the wing last year. Hardler could do it. Um, Haley could do it. I'm looking at the roster, and, like, I don't know that there's a way that you could do that this year. Like, Hardler was – I mean, sneaky, kind of tall and long, and that's why he was probably as good a defender as Bob Huggins said he was. Haley was probably closer to 6'8", 6'9", than he was 6'7", and could play the wing. Um, I don't know that you have a guy who can do that apart from just going pure three guards there, too. So, um, And again, if you're playing up, 
maybe your better shooters of the free throw line are McCabe. Maybe he gets in. Ball security is a concern there. Um, is it Sherman? Sherman can get a shot off in a tough situation. They, they leaned on him late in some games for possessions and, and for shot clock situations where he could you know rise and fire. Um, but that's a weird position for me because, yeah, ideally it's Matthews. I don't know. I don't know what to think about Emmett Matthews. That may be the biggest part of the offseason for this team. But, like, how do they fill that spot? And and what does the player look like? Is it a big guy? Is it a smaller guy? Is it the guy who should be there? It's a really good point, Chris. So let's say this summer Emmett Matthews dominates the super secret scrimmage that no one's ever allowed to know about, that we all get every single detail about. Are we back in on Matthews because of the way he finished the year? And then did that, or do we take a more kind of tepid approach because of we've seen this before? I don't want to burst any bubbles, but like Baylor was totally beatable that game. They just were. They were injured. They had guys who didn't play, guys who played who probably shouldn't have played, and guys who got hurt during the game. Um, it was just the perfect storm for them to get beat and beaten, you know, pretty soundly, which is what happened too. But he was responsible for a lot of it, and he peaked pretty early in that game and sustained it too. So I think it's, that's a, what if, I mean, what if he had strung together like four or five good games in March? That's a, that's the one unknown we don't have Um, to be, to be frank with you. I I just got to see it. It's going to have to happen for a month um, before I'm like, that's it. Because, you know, he gets a lot of, um, he gets a lot of the benefit of the doubt because he had a good March as a freshman. And that was really just one or two games. Um, And just was, for whatever reasons, internal, external, just didn't have a good year and picked his spots and thought he was out of a slump when he scored eight points and then roared at the end. I mean, he was really good against Baylor too. So um, I, I just if I saw it in flashes, it would be the same. If I saw it for like all of November, to be honest with you, like that would probably impress me because we're talking about how good that schedule is, but I'd probably want to see it in December too. Well, Mike, I hate to wrap this up, but I got to, you know, Get ready for some more homeschooling, some Dance Dance Revolution PE class, and everything else. So I think uh, our 30-minute podcast that has once again gone well (laughs) over 45 minutes is going to have to come to an end here. I had nothing left to say. I'd already agreed with you way too much, so we probably should just call this a podcast. (laughs) Sounds good. But you know what? I think it was our best one yet. It always seems to be. (laughs) <laughs> all right well that's all for this time until we are at our best again next time i am mike casaza and i'm chris anderson we'll talk to you later celebrate and save at ashley's anniversary sale with hot buys your choice of color starting at just 3.99 ashley sleep mattresses starting at 250 plus receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like stearns and foster temper pedic purple and beauty rest black with 60 month special financing only at ashley subject to credit approval no minimum purchase required minimum monthly payment down payment tax and delivery may be required see store for details